You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Ainello, and today's guest is Alex Blanco, who is a full-time real estate agent and was named 2019's Rookie of the Year at the Kai's Company with $8.1 million in sales. Even throughout the pandemic, he continues to be one of the top five realtors in the office and top 100 in the company, which has over 3,600 agents. And Alex, I'm so, so grateful that you could come on to share the basics of not only relationship building and obviously real estate, just because my listeners are really looking to learn about properties and kind of you know creating passive income through owning properties. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me, Gabby. Appreciate it. Yeah. So can you give us a background of what your story is? Like, how did you stumble into real estate and how did you get to being, as you, you know, you're honored to be called the rookie of the year, you're out of the 3,600 agents that are at your real estate company. How did you get to that point? So I grew up in New Jersey. I went to college at Ithaca College in upstate New York for about a year and a half. Unfortunately, uh, or fortunately at this point, did not do well there and had to go to a different school and focus more on something that I thought was a little bit more my passion. So when it didn't work out at Ithaca, I went to Johnson and Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island, where I studied hospitality. You know, it's 26 inches, I think two days. And I decided that's it. I'm out of here. Moving to South Florida. Don't care. Last trimester, you know, just moved down there, got a job, got an internship making $8.25 an hour as a phone operator. And I said, it doesn't matter. You know, my whole philosophy is get your foot in the door and the rest is up to me. Right. So as long as I got my foot in within about eight years, I became director of rooms for the Ritz Carlton in Coconut Grove, Miami, where I led a team of about 50 people. I was getting burnt out there, burnt out in hospitality, as many people do. And unfortunately, the higher you climb up in the ladder in corporate America, a lot of times what happens is you get further away from the passion and the reason why you actually went into it, which for me is one-on-one customer service, creating wow stories and wow moments for our guests. So I was going to work. My son was asleep. I was coming home. My son was asleep. My wife was pregnant with my little girl, Grace. So I needed to get out. And fortunately, Chen Med called me and I joined them. And I was in healthcare for about four and a half years. And I was a regional director of operation for two separate companies. And it really wasn't a good fit for me. I was trying. I was. I felt like I was succeeding. But there were definitely parts that were just, it just wasn't me. And I felt like people were holding me back. I felt like, and it wasn't those particular people. It was just, just having a boss and having somebody dictate and have control over my life was a little too much for me. And I told my wife during dinner one day, we went out to a restaurant nearby and I told her that I needed her to go back to work, that she hadn't worked since we got married, which at that point was about eight years. And I said, I need to go back to work because I'm going to do this real estate thing. We don't know how it's going to work out. And we need the insurance with two babies, you know, two little kids. So she left the table. <laughs> 15 minutes later, I got a text from her saying, get the food to go. We're going home. It's like, okay. So didn't talk to me all the ride home. It was kind of awkward and uncomfortable for about two weeks, to be honest with you. 
But I then made a, a bold move in an email to one of my boss's bosses. And they said, all right, where do you want to go from here, Alex? I said, well, it's, it's time for me to go. So I quit and I joined the Kai's company full-time September of 2018, which is the largest independent brokerage in South Florida. We have 3,600 realtors. My first year, 2019, first full year, I did 8.1 million in sales, which allowed me the opportunity to be rookie of the year for the Kai's company. And then since that, it's been great. I had 11 transactions the first year, 14 the next. And this year, I'm at 30 transactions with over 14 million in closed and pending sales. And what's funny, Gabby, is that I never sold anything before in my entire life, ever. And the way I took the approach to real estate was this is not sales, this is customer service. And this is helping people get through a process that can be very stressful and tedious. And sometimes they just need somebody to be there for them other than just the cutthroat you know, process that it is. So that part's easy because the process is already there for everybody. It's just about learning it. But really, you need to put other people first. And when you put other people first, it all comes back and everything yeah. works out. And I love how you've reframed the idea of real estate and sales and like right skeeviness and cold calling and all those negative terms with one of customer service, which is right. Like you're basically repositioning it to be adding value and being helpful versus being annoying, right? You're actually providing someone with the service they need. You're helping them. And because of that, I'm sure it changes, you know, the way you do business and why you've had so much success. Cause at least for me as a business owner, it's been very difficult for me to get over that hunch of like, oh my God, I'm being annoying. And I know for other people too, they experience the same thing. So that's a remarkable thing that you were able to do that. I think that you nailed it right on the head. It's about providing value, 100%. And those calls, and you have to make those cold calls in every business, right? No matter what business you're in, you're going to call people, you're going to make calls that you don't want to make. One, you're going to have to make them anyways. So just get it over with. Number two, your mindset really has to be from a position of, I'm here to help somebody. There's somebody that has a need because real estate is about resolving pain or pleasure, right? Helping people through pain or pleasure, for example, divorce, or you have a relocation, maybe you got promoted. So you have to move to South Florida now. That's a good reason. That's pleasure side. So there's always a reason, pain or pleasure that you're solving in real estate. And so if you make the phone calls thinking about them, it's so much easier because one, you don't have that commission breath because you're not thinking about the commission. You're not thinking about the money. And when you do, they can feel it. They can hear it in your voice. They know all you want is the money. But if you make it about them and you are genuine about it, it's so much easier. It makes the process so much easier because people want to work with people that they trust, no matter what business it is. So you have to be genuine. You have to want to help others. And it will come back a thousandfold, a thousandfold. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's something that I still am working on. And I know a lot of other people, like some people may never actually get to the place of recognizing that there's a difference between the two. One thing I really liked that you had said when we had first talked was that being fearful is actually selfish. So like, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? And like, how do we even remove the fear so that we can get better about solving more problems? So going back to the cold calls, you know, fear when you're calling and you have the fear of picking up the phone and talking to somebody and that they're going to hang up on you or yell at you, you know, and that does happen sometimes. But if you think about it as I'm making this call because I'm here to add value, I'm here to help somebody through either a pain or pleasure or need, 
then it makes things a whole lot easier because it's not about yourself anymore. Fear is selfish because you're thinking about the feeling that you have about it and how they're going to think of you, that they think that you're just a skeezy salesperson, that all you want is the money. You're thinking about what their interpretation of you is going to be. So that's a selfish thing to do. One of my first listings was a for sale by owner who I engaged with for about six months and built a relationship with her and actually provided value throughout the process, even though she wasn't a client of mine yet. So I was providing her tips on the market, trying to help her sell the home on her own, right? And she decided to list with me. And so I was in the area and I went to go get gas. And as I'm finishing up, a Bentley pulls in and I let the Bentley through and he waves at me. And as I pull out, I think to myself, man, I should really talk to that guy. So I turn around, I do a U-turn. As soon as I get out of the gas station, do a U-turn, pull in front of the car, he's pumping gas. And I say, sir, I know this is awkward. It may be awkward, but my name is Alex Blanco. I'm a local real estate agent. And I have a listing that your car would look amazing in front of. And he laughed, you know, and he said, you know what? I am not currently searching for a home, but I am selling my home and I wish my realtor did what you did. And, um, you know, he already had a realtor. He showed me the listing. I can't invite myself to, you know, to go see it or anything because that breaks antitrust laws. So he invited me to go see the property and it was overpriced at the time, but, you know, it was such a good experience for me to get out of my shell and really think about the other person and the person that I'm trying to help. And that was my seller. If I didn't do that, then I am foregoing an opportunity that was right in front of me. So I would be letting her down and not doing my job if I hadn't stopped that Bentley. And to be honest with you, there's been several occasions where I had one recently where I was selling a $950,000 condo in Aventura. And I was waiting outside, waiting for another realtor and I heard another realtor speaking and I could tell that it was a realtor and I could tell she was with a client. So I was waiting for her to get off the phone and she was waiting for the car. She didn't get off the phone. And I said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm not sure if you've seen my listing. I have a listing, you know, can you come up and would you like to show it? Do you think your client would be interested? She came up and showed the property and they didn't make an offer, but they came close. They came and saw the property two different occasions. So it's all about removing fear and putting your clients first. Yeah. But also it does take initiative. Not everyone has the capability to do that or to see the opportunity at hand. So like, do you think that's something that could be taught or is it learned? Because even that goes in entrepreneurship, like this is not cut out for everyone. Running the show yourself is not for everyone. It definitely is not for everyone. You have to have initiative. If you don't have initiative, don't even, don't quit. (laughs) You know, if you don't have initiative and don't want to be better, don't quit. I'm telling you right now, it's just not for you. And I don't want to steer anybody in the wrong way. I want, you know, to help on this podcast and hopefully this helps a few people, but I don't want it to help the wrong people. I don't want somebody to quit their job because they think entrepreneurship is easy. You got to wake up every morning wanting to go through the routine, to do the process, to want more, to help people, to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable in some situations. Initiative, I think, can be learned, but you got to get out of your shell. And sometimes 
the most difficult way that people learn motivation and initiative is by really hitting rock bottom and being with your back against the wall, you know, and going that extra mile because you have to, you know, upbringing definitely helps your surroundings help make things a little bit easier, but it definitely can be learned. I believe. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people and you could tell right off the bat, or I guess after a lengthy conversation of like, these are the ideas you have, this is the stuff you're doing, like whether they have initiative or not, and if they can make it, because I mean, you got to have fire, like it never burns out. You always have to be motivated. You always have to be working even when you're tired. And there's a reason why people have these crazy successes and they're making all this money. It's because they work their ass off. Like they do things that the normal person wouldn't do. So to think that you can just wake up one day and it's all going to be easy and and it's all going to be flowing well. And it's just, it's not like that. In order to have what others don't have, you have to be willing to do what others are not willing to do. I don't know anybody else that would have turned around and, you know, talked to the guy in the Bentley. You know, I have to be willing to do things that others are not. And I come from, my grandfather was an immigrant from Spain to Argentina. My father was an immigrant from Argentina to the U.S. So I have that just kind of drive, persistency, dedication to make things happen, you know, just kind of instilled in me. But my network has not always been huge. My network, some of it, I've had to go out and get it myself. And that just comes from putting yourself out there, meeting people anywhere you go. I've met clients at an ice cream store. I've met clients at a bar. I've met clients in a pool, in a community pool that I've done over $1.5 million of business with the bar person and with the pool person. So you can build your network anywhere. You just have to be willing to go out and meet people. And with tools such as LinkedIn, where you can literally type in different professions that you're trying to target. If you have a luxury listing, maybe you target some sports agents, connect with them, build relationships, add value. Don't sell the product right away, but build that relationship with as many people as possible because you never know when it's going to come back to you. Like, how do you do that then? How do you build a network without like basically with the mindset of the sales conversion. So like, you know, you still want to build those, you know, relationships authentically, but how do you even do that? Like, what would you do if you just like had a relationship start or you just met someone? Like, what would be the process look like to nurture them to maybe potentially be a connection, a partner, or like an actual buyer or seller in the long run? Well, I think a lot of salespeople fail because they look at the short term and not the long term. Right. I remember being in hotels and I was like, this person's going to do a conference in a year. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll call them sometime next month. No, you, I mean, that person's hot right now. You build a relationship right now. They're interested right now. So just build that relationship with them and keep it long term. The way you do that is you make it about them. Right. So you ask questions like four questions family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. So you ask them about those four different points and you make it always about them. So you ask those four questions, they'll ask you questions as well. They'll ask you what you're up to, what you've been doing. You know, you talk about what you're up to and that I'm doing real estate and how it's been going, how the market is. And then it's like one or two sentences about me. And then I go back to them. And the more I focus on them, I follow up with writing two thank you cards every day. And some people ask me, well, do you do that Monday through Friday? No, this is a mindset. Mindset is, you know, Monday through Sunday, you know, Sunday through Monday. Like it's a a constant thing that you have to be putting yourself out there and making sure that you're in people's mind. 
And another big thing is when somebody pops into my brain, I call them right away. There's so many times where, where people have said, Alex, your ears must be ringing because I was just thinking about you and I need to list my house. That's happened many times. And sometimes it's just, they need help. They need something. They need somebody to listen to them. They need some assistance with something else. I've helped people find jobs. I've helped people in many different aspects that have nothing to do with real estate. And again, it goes back to the whole idea of putting other people first. And when you do that, it just comes back. So now that you've talked about how to build your network, like what happens if, okay, for like my corporate quitters who are listening and they like want to leave a job or something, right? There's the aspect of like, burning bridges. Like I know that you said you should never burn bridges, but like that may be something that you can't avoid. Like if you have a shitty manager and like, you know, maybe you don't leave off on a good note when you quit or like you make this transition and it's not so nice, or maybe this person did you dirty as people like to say, what's your, you know, your take on it. And like, how can someone avoid maybe ruining connections that in the long run could actually be beneficial to both people? So I've definitely done that. I've gone out in a negative way and burned some bridges in the past I 100% regret it the way that I went out. I, at the time, I thought I was being a hero to my fellow coworkers. Honestly, your coworkers will forget about you as soon as you leave. Oh, yeah. I realized that very quickly. <laughs> don't, don't do them any favors. However, maintain those relationships. There's some people that are still really good people. You know, they just, they're busy on their work, you know, and, and they forget about you. But even though they do you dirty, if they do you dirty, you still have to be the bigger person and make sure that they know that you were the bigger person, that you didn't, you know, corporate on them as you left or bring them down or try to put their name through the mud or even do one of those things like in the movies where the McDonald's guy curses at everybody and then says, I'm out. Or we've seen videos of people rapping or singing or going on, you know, the target intercom and saying how terrible the office is and all that. It's just not going to do you any good whatsoever. I literally lost out on $30 million worth of business because I burned a bridge. That's a million dollars. About a million dollars would have been in my pocket because of a relationship that I burned. I tried to save it even before getting into real estate. I tried to save it a, a few times, but it's really hard once you burn it. And the truth is, is that people do change. People get better. I'm a much happier person with myself than I was when I was in corporate America, for sure, 100%. I feel like I'm nicer, <laughs> you know? Uh, I feel like I'm nicer because I'm happier too. And like my whole philosophy is helping other people instead of worrying whether or not my boss is happy with the production that I did and it feeling like it's never good enough. At least now when it's never good enough, it's because it's never good enough for me, right? But not for somebody else. So I definitely recommend no matter how hard somebody hurts you, hurts your feelings, put you down, don't take that grudge with you because it just weighs you down. Just let it go. It's easier to let it go and be the kinder person because you never know, even if you change industries that has nothing to do with the job that you're quitting, that person may be a value to you later on and you may be able to provide value to them later on. So if I have one regret in corporate America, it's burning bridges. And one, because I was you know, an asshole about it, and then two, why project that kind of anger or hate onto someone else? And also the biggest power that you 
can give somebody else is a power over your emotions. For sure. The biggest power that you can give somebody else is the power of your emotions. And nobody should have that much power over you. No one. I mean, it's so easy, especially if you have like friends or whoever who like, like the victim mentality. Like I have plenty of people, both like when I was like in real estate or when I was in corporate or even people in my personal life who like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you help them, they're always so negative and they're the problem can't be fixed. Like how do you even manage those relationships and like not let like, okay, I can still be confident in myself and not let their emotions get to me. But like, that doesn't make it easy either. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you have any strategies about that? Or like, how do you even know maybe if you're the one who's falling into that category of victim mentality? So it's very hard to distance yourself sometimes from people who are in that victim mentality. People who always blame others, who put other people down. It's never their fault. You know, they focus on the problem and not the solution. I learned very early on in my corporate life, don't bring up a problem unless you have three solutions for it, you know? And I have a friend right now that he was my best friend. We've been friends for over 15 years. He was the best man at my wedding. He is the godfather of my kid and my son, but he's got a problem and he plays a victim. You know, I'm not going to air out his dirty laundry, but he plays a victim a million times over. And I've told him to his face that, you know, as much as he hates when people play the victim at work, he's playing the victim in his own life. And he needs to move on, get over it, take accountability and focus on a solution. When I get upset over something, I throw a pity party for myself for 15 minutes. And then I go, all right, next, you move on. You cry about it. You do what you need to. But to be honest with you, in the corporate world, I can't count the amount of times where I just got home and I just fell face first onto the bed and just, you know, let it all out. Sometimes I cried. Sometimes I just kind of laid there. But it was it was horrible. And and I, I blamed everybody. I did. I was a victim. You know, I blamed everybody. I didn't see it then. I had no idea. I thought I was doing a great job. You have to look at what the issue is and why everything is pointing to you. If you're not looking for the solutions, you're always going to find the blame in someone else. When you find the solutions, you'll find that you can make a difference. Whether you're the problem or not, you can make a difference and you can change it. So I guess I would have attacked the corporate style that I had uh, a little differently as well. But Everything that's happened has led me to where I am today. And so while I regret the way that I left certain things and relationships that I may have burnt in the past, I'm very happy of where I currently am and where I see myself going. Yeah. It's really funny how corporate... I don't want to say it'll do that to you, like put you in that type of bad... I don't want to shit on it because it did pay my bills and it led me a lot of like really great opportunities to not only connect with people, but like do the things I always want to do. But it also, I was surrounded by people who were super negative, who made me negative as well. And it's just like, I don't know. I'm not going to shit on it. It is what it is. Well, and use it to your advantage. If you're in corporate America, you have connections to so many people right now. More than if you go out on your, I'm on my own. I have to go out there and constantly try to make new contacts and new friends that I can add value to and put in my phone and get their emails and all their information. I have to go out of my way. If you're in corporate America and you're planning to get out, you have a plan, make friends with people now, add value now, build those relationships now to the point where you can call them when you leave 
and you still have those relationships. Don't think about what, what the job is right now. Think of it how it can help you in the future. How can you get the value out of it for yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why like one of the best things I did was nurturing my network at my corporate job. Like I talked to literally everybody I got possibly could. I raised my hand for opportunities, like did anything so that I would stretch myself so much farther. And it has made all the difference now, you know, at this point in my now non-corporate job, you know, to see full circle. One of my first deals was a doctor that I worked with. I sold their house and bought a house for a total of a million dollars. Those were like one of my first two sales. That's crazy. So funny how it comes full circle. I know you mentioned it before, but it just, it always still blows my mind how things pan out. That's why burning bridges is the worst. And people tell you that since, you know, since you're in elementary school and Gary Vee says it all the time now, he's like, if you're in, in school, make friends with everybody. Don't shit on anyone. You know, don't be that guy. Be the guy that says hi to every single person there because they'll remember that. And if you shed on them in high school, uh, they're going to remember that too. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And now it's funny because I always see memes of people who like, not the mean girls in high school, but like those people. And they're like 10 years out of college and they're like, or whatever high school. And they like message you on Facebook message. You're like, hey girl, do you want to make like, you know, 5,000 more dollars using this MLM? Like whatever it is. And you're like, okay, I still remember who you were in high school. Like we're not doing this. Like, sorry. (laughs) No, but I mean, whatever. Got to do what you got to do. So I want to switch gears a little bit and get more into real estate obviously do real estate buying and selling and all of that stuff, probably rentals too. Can you maybe give some insight on what it's like to purchase a home? Like what people need to know uh, when they're you know getting involved with that? Like I know a lot of people are interested in investment properties or flipping houses. So also like how to determine a location or a type of property. Can you get into that a little bit? Sure. So in order to be prepared to purchase a home, you know, it's very important to make sure you speak with a lender and maybe a few lenders to get pre-qualified. That's a, the number one thing because it tells you what your budget is. So getting pre-qualified, they look at your debt, your income, and then tell you what you can and can't afford. You do at minimum have to have 3% down in order to purchase a home. Of course, the stronger you are financially, the more you put down, then you know, it's a more attractive offer, but you can purchase a home with only 3% down. Now with 3% down, you also have to think about closing costs and closing costs. If you're getting a loan are going to be an additional three to 4% on average of what the price of the home is. My recommendation is to make sure that you speak with a lender to get started. That's the biggest thing, because a lot of times we'll go looking for homes and then it turns out you're not qualified. And one of the biggest mistakes I've seen too, at the end of the buying process, once you're already under contract, people will go ahead and purchase a car, you know, no. or a lease or get a new credit oh card. Oh my God, <laughs> why? And it ruins your loan to debt ratio and you can lose out on the house and everything that you worked for. So I have a friend, true story, he was moving to Tennessee and he wanted to purchase a $1.5 million home, brand new home, new construction. Well, they were a day late and it went under contract with somebody else. And they accepted being the backup offer just in case things fell through. Well, the person who originally was under contract, he didn't buy a car. He was actually in the car business 
and purchased a car dealership and it ruined his <laughs> debt to loan ratio and he couldn't afford the house anymore. So my friends got it because this guy bought a car dealership instead. Wow. He probably uh, was like in, kicking in himself the in the ass for it. Jesus. Yes. Oh God. So, you know, save up, you know, save up in order to have that as a minimum. There's a lot of people that are doing flipping, which is when you buy a home for less than the value, maybe it needs a lot of work. And then you restore it, you renovate it with things that look like HGTV, right? And then sell it for more. It's a very aggressive game. There's a lot of competition out there because the money can be quite extreme. There's people that make over $120,000 on a flip if they do it right, you know, and if they're in the right price point. And then the other thing that's very big right now is just investment properties and having passive income. So purchasing small multifamily properties that are duplexes, triplex, fourplex, if you can afford more, even better. More of the multifamily that you can afford under one roof, it's better because your expenses will be lower. So you have a 10 units, you know, and it's two stories. Your roof is a lot smaller than having 10 single family homes, right? So repairing that roof is not as big of a deal as if you had 10 single family homes. And I'm happy to speak with people on the side, you know, a little bit more about that. You know, as far as location goes, if you're trying to do the Airbnb, make sure you're in a location that there's a lot of hotels around where you can maybe price yourself even at the same as a hotel in order to rent it on a daily basis, because you probably have a kitchen and a living room that are much more comfortable than staying at a hotel. However, there are lots of condominiums that have restrictions against Airbnbs. So make sure you work with a realtor that has done the research, knows the area, and knows what the restrictions are. Because a lot of cities have processes for applying for Airbnbs before you can do so. Yeah, I didn't realize that until in August, I went to Palm Springs in California and we rented an Airbnb. It was this beautiful house and everything. But the funny thing was that in this community or this, I would say, development we were the only Airbnb property there. So there were certain restrictions. Like we couldn't play any music outside, not even if it was low, like no music outside, like certain things. We had to like keep the property a certain way and make sure this was closed and this is how it operated. And like, right, those are minor things. That's not even, they could still operate the Airbnb in this location, but they were restricted in certain things. We had to sign all this paperwork before we even got the keys for the property, which is like, whereas I've been to Airbnbs in Vermont where they're just like, yeah, just show up and put the code in and you're good. Doesn't matter what you do. Just have a good time. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Most likely if it was a community, they probably weren't allowed to do Airbnbs. So I asked you not to play the music loud because they didn't want to attract any attention to get in trouble from doing it. That might be a possibility as well. That's you know? great. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if you noticed, but not everyone follows the rules, unfortunately. So, oh, no, no, no. You know, it's very important to work with people that you trust, that you have a connection with, and that puts you first. You know, hugely important, especially when running your own business. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just dealing with other people when you have a multifamily house or something like, you know, that could be the greatest thing or the worst thing for you, like having tenants and all of that. So, how have you? Like, I know we talked, you know, before this and you were talking about how you have your 11 year old son and like you're teaching him kind of the basics of investing and passive income. Can you explain how basically what you've learned, how you've implemented when it comes to teaching, you know, your your son how to do these things and all of that? Yes. Yeah, so my son wants to buy a MacBook Pro 
So he wants to just use the money that he saved up and he's not there yet, but he wants to use the money to go ahead and, and purchase one. And I told him that we should try to invest that money and start a business that then brings in that money regularly. Now we've looked at different things and you know, we've looked at what's called affiliated marketing or drop shipping. We've done our research on that. We sat down and looked at YouTube videos and tried to analyze that. Unfortunately, we found that drop shipping through Amazon is actually not allowed. And even within a week, they can ban you from doing so because they have different tools and information to kind of catch on. So that went out the window real quick because they'll also, if they do find you doing drop shipping, they'll hold your money and not pay you. Yeah. No, the best way to do drop shipping is to start your own online platform and stuff. So I'm teaching you how to do the research, right? We haven't pulled the trigger yet, but we definitely need to because that's something that I also have to teach him. Something that I need to do more myself is just, just go for it sometimes. You're going to fail. It's okay. Figure it out. Figure it out as you go. And I love what Arnold Schwarzenegger said during his speech one time. He said, plan B is the worst thing that you can do is to have a plan B. Because that means that you're focusing your time and attention to thinking that you're going to fail on plan A instead of focusing on how to make plan A work. Yeah, dude, it's so true though. So true. Yeah. You just got to make it happen. You know, that's why I quit, ended up quitting my job when I did instead of waiting because, and not to say that everyone should quit their job and just focus on a business, but like if I was trying to work on quote unquote, my, you know, my plan A was to have the business plan B was just sticking the corporate job. If I was focusing on my corporate job 24 seven, and that was all I was thinking about. And then like little sprinkles of my extra time was for my business. It never would have been where it is right now at all. And I'm sorry to say this, but it's true in every single business, even the businesses that care in corporate, even if you have a boss that has the biggest part, you're replaceable. Yeah. You're 100% replaceable. Dude, isn't that crazy? Like I thought I made my mark at my last corporate job and I busted my ass. Like I did probably the job of about three different people. And yet it was still, you know, maybe there were two weeks where people were reaching out like, oh, I'm so sorry you left. Like, I'm going to miss you so much. And then now it's crickets. I haven't heard a single thing. They've hired my replacement. Well, multiple replacements. Like, you know, all these things that I thought, oh, I'm, I'm such a like, I don't want to say a hero, but you think you're so important. And then you realize they really don't give a shit. And it's not even personal. It's just business. But like, damn, you think your whole life and your whole persona is based on your job. Wait until you fucking leave. And then you'll be like, wow, that was all for nothing. And so with that, remember to go to your job, do your job, do it well, put a smile on your face. Because remember, people don't always remember that you did it. They remember how you did it, whether you did it with a positive attitude or a negative attitude. And I try to teach my kids that as well. But listen, you're going to make your bed anyways. Whether you want to cry about it for like half an hour or three hours, it doesn't matter. At the end, I'm not going to remember that you made the bed. I'm going to remember that I told you to do something and you didn't do it. So number one, always do that because people will remember, you know, how you made them feel. Do your job and then afterwards focus on your side hustle. So go to work nine to five and then come home and you focus on your side hustle. You invest four or five hours a day on your side hustle, try to get it off the ground. And remember, you're still building those relationships at your corporate job while building your side thing. And they don't need to know. You don't need to tell them. You know, you went to work and you did your job. And before it used to be, they used to call it moonlighting when you're doing something else. And people didn't really like that. 
But at the end of the day, it's none of their business as long as you came to work and did your job properly. Yeah. And plus, it's so normal now. I feel like everyone has a side hustle or they do this investment thing or they have this side thing. So it's it's not uncommon. And also because the way that work is changing, like you don't stay at the same job for 20 years or until you retire. That's not how it is anymore, especially with, you know, online world and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it also, I think, you know, if you talk about karma and just like, again, the work you put in, if you put in the five hours every single day, or even like for me, I actually took off an entire week of work last year in 2020, October, 2020 to literally sit down and build out my website and do things for my business, which that sends a signal. Hey, I'm fucking serious about this. I really want this to happen one way or another. So if you're just like mulling around, shit's not going to come for you. It's not going to work out. You have to put it in, you know, the put in the time and all that. You have to work hard and you have to work harder than everyone else. A lot of people start to think real estate is so easy. It can be done part-time. 99% of realtors fail. 99% of realtors don't make a dollar, you know, their first year. You have to work hard. You have to put yourself out there. You have to meet people. You have to be fearless. One person told me in the very beginning, they said, you have your license. I have my license. I've been doing this for 15 years. You just started. You and I are the same. There's no reason why you can't go for the $2 million listing or $10 million listing. You have your license. Go for it. So I did. Everyone thinks that you have to start at 100000 then move to 200000 then 500000 then go on to the millions. Why? Why is there progression? There's no progression. Add value. And if you don't know, learn it. Go on YouTube and learn about the six different types of crown molding, the $30,000 types of um, stoves that are in ultra luxurious homes that only those people would know about. Learn about those things. But it's up to you. You have to take the initiative. You have to want it. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. I know you sprinkled a ton of gold nuggets in like your story and all of this, but I like to leave up all of my episodes with one final question. And that's if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? So what would you tell younger Alex? You are capable more than what you think you are. I think that would be the one thing that I would tell myself. And you can do it. You just go for it. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. When somebody tells you that you can't do something, that it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of their limitations, not yours. When they say you can't do this, it means they can't do that. And I tell my kids all the time, we have a few things that we say. One, we've been saying since they were like two years old, since they could talk, we don't cry, we fix it. And that's how I instill the the player versus victim mindset in them. We don't cry, we fix it. And they say that phrase until they stop crying. Once they stop crying, we go through the problem. We find the solutions, we fix it, and then we move on. Next, you let it go, you put it, it's done, you move on. So that's a, a very big thing that we say. And then the other one is, I ask them, I say, what does it mean when somebody tells you that you can't do something? And they say, it means that they can't do it, not that I can't do it. It's true. Thousand percent true. People don't understand that, you know? I, I want to leave you with one quote that I actually, I go for a three mile walk every morning and I listen to motivational videos sometimes just to get through and I take little snippets of everything. And one thing I heard today was if your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. It's fucking true though. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. 
Like there's some deals right now that like I should be terrified that I'm getting myself into. Like, why me? And then I think, why not me? I can do this. Why can't I do this? Of course I can do this. Bring it on. So I'm going for it. Hell yeah. I love it. Well, hopefully this helped a few people. Yeah, no, I think it will. I think just from like a mindset perspective, but then also write the real unfiltered version of what it's like to a purchase a home, right? Get in that business, but also just what it's like to be a real estate agent and an entrepreneur. Cause right. It's not easy. It's super fulfilling, but not easy. But where can people find you, Alex, if they want to get in contact or reach out to, or even work with you or consult with you on, um, you know, real estate stuff. So I didn't go into too much of real estate because I want people to get more out of this on how I can help them, you know, in the corporate world and just life lessons through it because I think that's the most valuable piece. But you can reach me. My handle is Make It Happen Alex. So you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'll be honest, I should post more than than I do. And I'll be honest again that that's a little bit out of fear, uh, but <laughs> I got to get through it. And then uh, my website is makeithappenalex.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you being so open and honest and just sharing really, you know, your story and the nitty grittiness of what it's like to be a real estate agent. So thank you. Thank you, Gabby. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you. And call me if you ever need anything. Oh, I will. Both real estate related or not. I got my eye on Florida, so we might not be that far (laughs) off. So we'll see what happens. Sounds good. Happy to help. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at she likes to gab. 